Good morning. The scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you for the music this morning. Thank you, Kathy and Bonnie. Thank you for the beautiful anthem. Monique, thank you, Karen, for leading us in the scripture lesson. Summertime 2020, and the living is hot. The living is really strange. The pandemonium of a pandemic. And the famous words of that television businessman, Sam Drucker from Petticoat Junction, who would ever have thunk it? For the past several weeks, though, we've been observing a camp meeting style of worship here at Noonan First, a way of worshiping that is a part of our United Methodist heritage, not the whole package, but part of it. And thankfully, we're doing this without sawdust on the floor and without the big bugs crawling and flying all around us, and with the blessing, praise God, of air conditioning. And I hope where you're listening and watching this morning, you have that blessing as well, unless you're outside somewhere. Our topics have been based on the stanza of that familiar Charles Wesley hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. On July 26th, we talked about that if we had a thousand tongues, not a thousand people with one tongue each, but a thousand tongues ourselves, would that be enough to sing the praises of an awesome God whose glory defies our description? And then on August the 2nd, we acknowledged our need for assistance in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, a task that's too awesome for us with a solo voice or as individuals. But we need one another, and we need the guidance of God's Spirit to tell this good news in a world that struggles mightily right now. On August 9th, we dare to speak the name of Jesus, the name that charms our fears, the name that bids our sorrows cease. And then last Sunday, August 16th, we considered what it means to break the power of cancel sin, broken by the loving sacrifice of the Lamb of God. One of the definitions of cancel is to cross out. And by the cross of Christ, our past sins, our regrets, the weight we carry that drags us down, that power has been broken and canceled. And for today's stanzas 5 and 6, of old, four thousand tongues of saying, we just sang those two stanzas. I hope you were able to sing along with us. We were just sort of humming along here under our mask as we were being led in these verses, but I hope you sang along. And I think those two verses can be summed up by the phrase broken down and fixed up. Broken down and fixed up. Broken down by 
illness, by circumstances, by poverty, by poor choices, by, quote, disabilities, by aging, things that just happen to us as we get older. I like the little Facebook meme of the guy sitting there saying, enjoy your life in your 20s and 30s and 40s, because when you hit 50, that check engine light going to come on. And it will, I promise you, it will. Fixed up by the grace of God, the love of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, our opening hymn, how firm a foundation is a beautiful reminder of God's presence and God's sustenance and God's power. But, and let me, just a little aside, like many of our wonderful traditional hymns, somewhere across the years, some of the lyrics, some of the stanzas have been dropped out of those hymns. And I discovered two stanzas in an older hymnal to how firm a foundation that folks used to sing along. And these stanzas speak, I believe, to this whole idea of being broken down and fixed up. And let me just read those, not sing them, just read those two stanzas to you. And you might want to have that how firm a foundation, that tune kind of in your head and on your mind. Think about this now. In every condition, in sickness and health, in poverty's vale or abounding in wealth, at home and abroad on the land on the sea, as thy days may demand, shall thy strength ever be. And then one of my favorite stanzas that one day I hope maybe we'll come back and we'll sing it, even down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. And when frosty hair shall their temples adorn, like lamb shall they still in my bosom be born. I'm not sure why those stanzas got away from us, but maybe they'll be back one day. And then Prophet Isaiah would say it like this. Karen read the words beautifully a while ago, but verse 31 from Isaiah 40 one more time. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Broken down and fixed up. I've been thinking this week about a phrase that I hear from time to time. Maybe you use this phrase, planned obsolescence. An appliance is built to last a few years, and when it gives up the ghost, it's more expensive to repair it than to replace it. Gone are the days of Emmett's Fix-It Shop. You might remember Emmett on the Andy Griffith Show. He would always be in a shop, always tinkering around, always working on a toaster or a lamp or some other small appliance. A customer would come in to pick up a repaired item, and Emmett would hand it to her and say, that'll be $3. It's good as new. Broken down, fixed up. That's what I hear Charles Wesley's poetry saying to us in the two stanzas of this hymn that we're looking at today. The deaf hear, the speechless speak, the non-ambulatory are walking and running, and some of them are even jumping and leaping. The blind see. And I want us to spend a little time with that phrase, this beholding thing, this visioning thing, this seeing thing. And take note, if you will, of a story from Mark's Gospel, a short story, chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. They came to Jericho, 
As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, followed Jesus on the way. A story of seeing, a story of a blind man being healed. It's referenced in our stanzas from Old Four Thousand Tongues. It's referenced in our closing hymn when we sing Amazing Grace. Once was blind, but now I see. The passage begins with Jesus and his disciples, his friends, passing through Jericho. And a crowd is there, and Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, like Simon Bar-Jonah, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, is sitting by the roadside. And when he realizes, he can hear the scuttlebutt in the crowd, even if he can't see. And when he realizes this is Jesus passing by, he begins to just shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody around him was saying, shh, they were trying to hush him. But he wouldn't be hushed. He got louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and called him. And they said to him, cheer up. Get up! He's calling you! Bartimaeus threw off his coat, jumped to his feet like a young athlete, and ran to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Master, teacher, let me receive my sight. Jesus said, Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. But he did not go his way. We are told very clearly he followed Jesus on the way. Who was Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus? He was a blind beggar. And those two words, when we use that, sounds like a rather useless individual, doesn't he? According to our standards and the way we look at things and the way we expect everybody to be strong and whole. Useless individual, it sounds like. But he was a persistent blind beggar and he would not give up he knew what he wanted he knew what Jesus could do and he wasn't going to quit shouting out till he got what he needed he was an embarrassment to others the quote disabled often are loud he is so loud but goodness gracious you got to give him this he was an enthusiastic embarrassment and he wouldn't hush. He was an interrupter, and that was considered to be quite rude, but he had the faith to go for it. He was blind, but now he could see he was sitting beside the road, but now he is on the way. It's a healing story. It's a miracle story. It's different from some of the other miracle stories in the gospel, some of the other New Testament stories where the blind could see. 
There's no effort to find a private place for the healing to take place. Jesus often would take someone aside so as not to embarrass them, not to harm them. But it it happened right there. No private place. And he does not admonish Bartimaeus to keep quiet about what has happened. Sometimes he would say, go and tell no one about this. Wait until the time is right. Maybe the location of the story in the gospel. It's a section of Mark that begins with a healing story of a blind man in chapter 8 and begins and ends with this healing of a blind man. A discipleship section just before Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. The critical point of the gospel, the passion stories beginning, the suffering and death just before it. It is in Jerusalem, the court, before the court, that Jesus will acknowledge that he's the Christ. The days of the Galilean ministry, the messianic secret are over. And he's moving into this time where it's all beginning to unfold, his purpose for coming. The story of the healing of the blind man, the blind man bracketing this story. Predictions here of Jesus coming, suffering and death, and they were having a hard time grasping this. They just hadn't been listening, had they? Hadn't been watching. Like teachers, I know teachers right now are on the hot seat. They're having a difficult time. We pray for them. We lift them up. We encourage them. And sometimes, though, even in good times for teachers, just knowing that you've poured your heart and soul into something and they still didn't get it. And they still didn't hear what you were saying. And Jesus had poured his heart into these folks. And they still weren't quite getting what he was saying. And this is a side note, and I'll try not to chase this rabbit too far, but last night, Mickey and I watched one of my favorite movies. It's 25 years old, Mr. Holland's Opus. And when he first went to the school as a teacher to the high school and was having a hard time connecting with his students, and eventually it happened. It's a great story, a great movie. But it's frustrating, isn't it? When we want someone to hear what we're saying, they're not getting it. And you know they weren't getting it because James and John approached Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said the same thing he said to Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to send one at your right hand and one at your left and your glory. And Jesus said, You don't know what you're asking. In other words, you're still blind to this whole business. And Jesus began to explain to them why they didn't know what they were talking about. And with the other ten now being present, he spoke to them as their, of their role in this world. Not as rulers, not as those who are in charge, not as those who come to be the greatest, but as servants. Saying that even the Son of Man, even Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. That's hard for us to grasp some days, isn't it? And then they're passing through Jericho and there says Bartimaeus begging, crying out. Why did Jesus stop for a blind beggar on his way to Jerusalem? All that was before him, he knew what was going to unfold there. He knew the authorities were going to condemn him and and torture him. But how many times had Jesus' ministry been interrupted? But he stopped, didn't he? When Peter interrupted him when he was praying, 
by a leper when he was preaching in the synagogue, by a paralyzed man when he's preaching in Capernaum. And we all remember the story of the sick woman, sick for 12 years. And Jesus is on his way to heal a little girl who's at the point of death. And here's this sick woman tugging on his robe. And he stopped. And I had to ask myself, and, and maybe you ask yourselves too, how do we handle interruptions? Henry Nowen, Catholic priest who died several years ago now, told of a teacher who once remarked, you know, my whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until the day I discovered my interruptions were my work. How about with us? Why did Jesus stop for Barnabas? To heal him? Because even on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was not bogged down with compassion fatigue. Isn't that a strange and interesting expression? Compassion fatigue. Yes, to heal him, but more than that, to call him. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, take heart, rise, he's calling you. Call, call, calling, all in one verse. And it's more than a miracle story. This is a call story. Where were we when Jesus first called us? How does he continue to call us? It's a unique call story. Because it's a mutual kind of thing here. Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus. And Jesus calls back to Bartimaeus. Get up. Come here. And he follows Jesus on the way. Why did Jesus stop and help a blind man on his way to Jerusalem? Maybe he was looking for a disciple who could see. What do you want me to do for you? And James and John said, we want to see it. One at your right hand. One on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus said, No. What do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? Said, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said, yes. What do we, as Christian disciples, as servants, followers, members of God's church, what do we most want Jesus to do for us? Since we can all see, and we can all see, can't we? Do we want Him to give us our sight? To what are we blind? When people, or words, or actions disturb us, could it be because one of our blind spots has been revealed? In what ways are we broken down? When Jesus fixes us up, and He does indeed repair us, not replace us, when Jesus renews us, are we good as new? And my answer is no, we're not. We're better. Amen.